Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to House of Horrors. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner. Here on the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? What's up, everybody? My name is Jonathan B. Lerner with Believe in House of Horrors on the Believe Podcast Network. On this week's show, we're going to do a deep dive look into one of the most iconic, celebrated horror films of all time. A wonderful little picture full of life lessons and beautiful examples of how to live your life. Stick your cock up her ass, you motherfucking worthless cocksucker. Yes, how lovely. I'm talking, of course, about the film that, if nothing else, reminded you that the power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. All right. Fuck me. Fuck me. That's great. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm talking about The Exorcist. Now, this film is often referred to as the scariest movie of all time, and I have to say, it truly is a terrifying movie. In fact, When this movie opened on December 26, 1973, it caused widespread hysteria, the likes of which I don't think film, the film industry has ever seen, before or since. There were reports of fainting, people being institutionalized. There was even one report that after a woman saw this picture in the theater, she had a miscarriage. I don't know how those two things are related, but it was indeed reported. Theaters started to provide barf bags for the people they knew were going to see The Exorcist. The public reaction to this movie truly was unusual. Even Linda Blair, the woman who played Reagan, the possessed girl in the movie, she was about 12 years old at the time of this movie's release. And even she said that she felt the public's response was, at the very least, puzzling. I was as much watching what was going on not believing that the world, that people could react in that way. I mean, I was like, why are they reacting? It's a movie. I think there are a couple reasons that people react so passionately, sometimes violently, to The Exorcist. The first of which is the subject matter. It has to do with that ever-so-sensitive subject of religion. Anyone with half a brain knows you don't mess with the religious folks. They're just about as crazy as it gets. And I'm not necessarily talking about those Sunday churchgoers who simply like the community and believe in the Bible and all that whatever. Hey, everyone's free to believe and do whatever they want. I'm talking about those beautiful people like the ones who attend the Westboro Baptist Church. You know, the ones who go and picket people's funerals and protest at various events. The ones who hold the signs that say things like, God hates fags and God hates America. 
The ones who insist that all the soldiers who have died overseas are now rotting in hell because God wants to punish us. It's those people that I think might see a movie like this and do something crazy. You know, like threaten Linda Blair's life because she was possessed by the devil. Sounds obscene, doesn't it? Oh, it is obscene, but it happened. It happened so many times that Warner Brothers, for the next seven months after the film's release, had to hire personal bodyguards for Linda Blair. But again, religion is a almost hypersensitive subject in this country, and so this film was bound to rock the boat a bit. And it did so in a way that other horror movies dealing with religious subjects don't do. As one priest put it, The effect was really searing on a lot of people because this wasn't just the omen, it wasn't just Rosemary's Baby. It had a psychological, religious impact. Another element that made this film so jarring is that it was advertised as being based on a true story. And let me tell you, folks, some of the visuals in this movie, to see that pretty, cute, happy, button-faced girl, rosy cheeks and beautiful smile, to see her go and transform into this demon, this beast, it is it is jarring, it is staggering, and it is scary. <laughs> to then think that that actually happened, based on a true story, that's what that means, right? That means that this actually happened. The thought of this actually taking place is beyond horrifying. And that's exactly what they want you to think and feel when they say, based on a true story. When you see that phrase written on any book cover or movie poster, a lot of times it's almost a flat-out lie. The key part of that phrase is based on. Based on a true story. Almost never will you see written on a book cover or movie poster a true story. On the other hand, it's fairly common to see things that are based on a true story. Very, very different. Vastly different. To say something is a true story means, yes, this happened. It happened like this. It happened this way. The end. But to say that something is based on a true story, well, that opens all kinds of doors. That means that virtually none of this necessarily happened, but it's where we got the idea. Yet people don't think that way. If someone sees, based on a true story, their initial thought is, oh my god, that actually happened. It is a fantastic marketing tool, but unfortunately, it's very misleading. I'm afraid, most of the time, when you see that something is based on a true story... No, most of it didn't actually happen. In fact, a lot of it is completely and utterly made up out of nowhere, but still somewhat based on the original idea. And so, that having been said, The Exorcist is remarkably unique in that it doesn't take many liberties. It's a lot truer than any other thing you'll see based on a true story. Here's the author explaining how he came 
about writing the book, The Exorcist, and eventually the screenplay for the movie, The Exorcist. Well, in 1949, I was a junior at uh, Georgetown University. And in class, I heard some details about a so-called case of possession and an exorcism that was going on in the neighborhood somewhere nearby. The victim, who was identified as a boy, was of a Lutheran family. There were poltergeist phenomena surrounding him. And the family had gone to their minister, who told them, let the boy stay in, in my house overnight. Well, uh, all hell broke loose in that man's home. He then said, look, I don't know what to tell you about this. Uh, the Catholics uh, claim to be able to do something about this. They deal with that sort of thing. And you might go to a Jesuit priest. Many, many, many years later, it all came back to me. And I determined to write that story. Well, minus the staying overnight at a priest's house, that's pretty much what the Exorcist movie and book, that's what they are. Now, obviously, we don't know what the allegedly possessed boy looked like or sounded like or what he said, and we don't know what the supposed poltergeist-like phenomena that took place, we don't know what that was, but we didn't necessarily need to know what it was. They took the fact that we didn't know what he looked like or sounded like, and they used that to ultimately make the story so terrifying. I gotta tell you, folks, the cute little girl, Reagan, she turns throughout the course of the film into this scarred, bloody, nasty, cold demon, and it just, raggedy hair, and the eyes change, and it's like, oh my gosh. Not to mention the things she says and the voice. The voice. Keep away. The sour is mine. What an excellent day for an exorcism. To see this cute, pretty little girl turn into this nasty demon and talking with that voice, it sticks with you, folks. It sticks with you. Did you do that? Uh... Do it again. In time. No, no. In time. The third and final thing that I think really sticks with people about this movie and gives them uneasiness to this day is the fact that there are a lot of myths surrounding the making of this movie, most of which prove to be not myths at all, but actual truths. Listen to some of the people involved in the making of this film as they talk about some experiences they had while in production. In my 32 years of, of, of making films, I've never had a set burn down. And we did on The Exorcist. Well, we had a, a, a fire that was still a mystery. The set caught on fire one weekend um, when no one was there. They never did find the reason for that either. They, they couldn't find a, a, an electrical problem. They couldn't find an arsonist. There are a couple of unfortunate deaths during the filming. There were nine deaths, which is an enormous amount of deaths connected with the film. Some very directly, like the actor Jack McGowan, who gets killed in the film, completed shooting and died. And these weren't 
casualties from stunts or things like that. These were kind of men standing behind a camera all of a sudden, dropping dead. Now, naturally, some people on the production, cast, and crew brushed these things off as being sheer coincidence. After all, it was a long shoot, and when you do shoots that last a long time, things are bound to happen. Accidents happen. You know, it's just a coincidence. Let's move on. But many others just couldn't dismiss all that was happening so easily. After all, they had made many films over many, many years, and nothing like this had ever happened before. So why was it happening now? Could all of these terrible things have something to do with the source material? They couldn't help but wonder. It deals with very heavy forces, and um, I was a little worried about what that would mean to work with those. There was definitely a feeling that it could happen. We were playing around with something. I even felt it. I felt around I was playing around with something I shouldn't be playing around with. What do you think, folks? Why were people randomly dropping dead throughout the production? Why did things happen, like the set burning down one night when no one was even around? Why did the public react in such a radical, hysterical manner, the likes of which we had never seen? Were all these things mere coincidences? Or could there have been forces looming around the exorcist, trying to say that they were messing around in territory they best not mess around in. What do you think? Tell us. We want to hear from you. And if we don't, well, let me just say, I hope demons don't exist and possess people. For your sake. If you enjoy this show, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Uh, oh, oh, actually, I, I guess iTunes doesn't technically exist anymore. Uh, Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, basically wherever podcasts are found. If you can find podcasts there, you can find us there. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Believe, that's capital B L E A V podcasts. And of course, feel free to follow me. I'm at J-O-N-B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's J-O-N, no H. B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.